It is Monday, of course, the first Monday of February. And as always, on a Monday, pleased to welcome Acumen Laws, Kyla Lee. Kyla, how you doing here this afternoon? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Ah, thanks, as always, for the time. All right, so let's start here with a case that dates back to August of 2019. It regards a simple speeding ticket here. Uh, cameras in the Vancouver area clocked a 2017 Porsche as driving somewhere between 21 and 40 kilometers an hour over the speed limit in a 50-kilometer zone. Uh, that comes with a fine that's just shy of $200. Now, the person who was issued the ticket filed an appeal saying... I do not agree with the fine. I think the amount is excessive and would like to request a reduction. It wasn't me driving the vehicle. My friend was driving. This is her first offense. I wish the amount can be reduced. Now, the judicial justice entered a plea of guilty, but did order the respondent to pay a reduced fine of $138. The Crown, though, believed there was no reason for the judicial justice to reduce the fine and uh, appealed the ruling, and the guilty party ultimately ended up paying the full fine of $196. Now, a lot of time and money that went into this appeal, I am sure, and it resulted in the fine being increased by a whopping $48. Now, Kyla, I know that this case caught your attention because of all the work that went into this appeal by the Crown. So I just wanted to start by getting your reaction to all of this, Um, I guess, frustration with the fact that, you know, so much time and effort and money was spent on this appeal. And are you surprised at how much work actually went into this on the Crown side of things? I mean, I'll say right off the bat, I'm not surprised how much work went into it on the Crown side of things because uh, it is, you know, an issue that required argument. It required an application to be filed. It required a legal basis for the remedy that the Crown was seeking. And and those things take work. As a lawyer, I'm not surprised that work went into it. Mm -hmm. What does surprise me and make me just incensed as a taxpayer and as a lawyer is that the government bothered to do this at all. They don't need the money. We're not, you know, our our provincial economy is not on the verge of collapse uh, over, you know, 50 bucks. So there's no reason that the government needed to spend this amount of money that it would have taken to bring this case just to collect this amount from this one individual. It's absolutely absurd to me. It's a huge waste of court resources, of taxpayer dollars, and it demonstrates a completely callous disregard to careful spending on the part of government, which we should be asking them to do. I guess, would there be any argument to to worry about uh, the potential precedent if you didn't go forward with something like this? I mean, I, I don't really see that as being a, an issue here, but potentially I guess that could be what the Crown was thinking, is that if they just let this go, this could be a, uh, something that, you know, others take advantage of down the road? No. And the reason why is these applications for fine reductions, essentially what happens is you send in written reasons, as the driver did in this case. They land on the desk of a judicial justice of the peace, who reviews them and who reduces the fine and and you get a letter in the mail. There's no published decision. There's no outcome that's publicly available that you can find and you can argue your case using. So this has no precedential value to anybody else. Even if this judicial justice was reducing fine amounts in more than one case, and we have no evidence of that, nor was there any evidence in the case led to suggest that this was a widespread problem. Even if they were, the public wouldn't know that. And so it's not going to encourage other people to ask for fine reductions based on similar circumstances. 
Um, just in regards to this actual incident itself, I mean, we have someone claiming they weren't driving the car, but were ultimately issued the fine. Um, I have a little bit of concern with the fact that, you know, we're talking about a camera here, right, that actually caught this Porsche driving too fast. Fair enough. But, you know, is there anything that could be argued in this case where we're looking at someone who's going to be, you know, have to pay almost $200 and is going to have demerit points as a result of this, yet they weren't actually ones driving the vehicle. Do you have any, um, I guess, thoughts or, or maybe recommendations to anyone who might find themselves in this type of a situation? Well, with the camera tickets, they don't come with demerit points. So the, the okay. driver in this case and the owner would not face demerit points. And the camera tickets are issued to the owner. There's a special provision in the Motor Vehicle Act that allows that. So they don't go on the driving record. It's just the fine. It's essentially a revenue collection scheme for the government. And when they introduced these these red light speed cameras, there was a lot of criticism lead um, against government, I think quite legitimately, that this appeared to be a cash grab. And the government's response was, no, 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 this is about safety. But as you can see on the facts of this case, it's not about safety. There's nothing about safety raised in any of the government arguments about the fine amount. The person wasn't the driver, so them paying $138 versus $196 changes nothing about their behavior on the road. It doesn't impact the person who was speeding, who appears to be not a very experienced or frequent driver anyway, who likely doesn't need the general deterrence by posing a significant risk to the public. This is not about safety. This is about money for the government. And that's it, it's abundantly clear by them bringing this case that when they said this isn't a cash grab, that wasn't bona fide. Now, this is uh, just in relation to that. I mean, is there other other things that are kind of caught on these cameras? You mentioned, like, obviously, red lights are running red lights. And in this situation, a speeding ticket was issued. Um, are there other things that uh, that these cameras can can catch you doing? Not at this point in time, but in other jurisdictions in the world, they're now using intersection cameras to enforce distracted driving laws. And I don't think it's too much of a stretch to see our our cameras at these high-risk intersections now being used to peer into vehicles to find drivers who are quickly checking their text messages at red lights. We know that's the most common form of distracted driving ticket, and it would be a very easy way for the government to rake in $368 from every person sitting in an intersection who touches their phone. Yeah, and I guess in that case as well, it would kind of uh, follow the same lines here as it would issue the ticket to the the, dri- the owner of the vehicle because they wouldn't necessarily be able to prove who was in a car if, if that's what they're doing, right? At this point, no, uh, although I don't, you know, I don't have hope for the future. As our camera technology gets much, much better and less expensive, we're going to have cameras that are going to be able to capture very clear pictures of people's faces while they're sitting at, at intersections. And I think identity ultimately is going to be able to be proven. ICBC has massive investment in facial recognition technology. Their tech, facial recognition technology is so good that it can tell the difference between identical twins and identical twins are often frequently prosecuted for uh, offenses involving licensing um, because, you know, one twin will go to uh, go to renew the other twin's license as a favor to them or because the one is prohibited and the other isn't. Um, my, my own, I have a family member who posed as me, got a license as me so that she could go to the bar when she was under under 19 and got caught years later using ICBC facial recognition technology. Wow. 
That's uh, that's pretty crazy stuff, and I do have a little bit of concern when it comes to the whole uh, privacy that we should have uh, in our lives with that kind of stuff, but that's uh, an issue for another day. I think that's about all I have on that particular instance, but yeah, what a waste of time and money, really, that went into collecting an additional $48, and, and like you mentioned, isn't going to have much of a deterrent for the actual driver who um, you know was at fault in this particular issue. So, interesting stuff there. I did want to ask you, Kylo, while I have you, about the suit drive that you've now done for a couple of years. Um, so, the Allaired Women's Caucus suit-up drive took place over the weekend, January uh, 30th and 31st, and I saw this on, uh, well, you posted it on all your social media, right? Your your Instagram, and I saw it on Twitter, and um, it looks like you got a pretty significant haul, and before we get into just how awesome the the, uh, the donations were, I just wanted to kind of ask why this is something that's that's near to you, and, and uh, you know, why is is something that you've done, you know, I believe it's uh, the third year running. It's expensive as a woman to buy a suit. Um, you know, for men, you can walk into a store like Moore's or, you know, there's all sorts of suit stores dedicated to men where you can buy an affordable suit. You can buy one, get one free. You've got tons and tons of options. Um, and it's very easy to fill that need that you have as a law student to purchase a suit, to go to networking events, to wear to interviews, to wear to court, um, and to wear ultimately if you get hired at a, at a law firm. Um, for women, it's much more difficult. There are no dedicated suiting stores for women. Um, you can find suits at stores, but they are incredibly expensive. To get a you know to get a nice suit is is minimum one hundred and fifty dollars, and and usually closer to around five hundred, wow. which is a massive investment for a law student. And so, you know, I wanted to close the gap between the availability of affordable suiting for men compared to women. Now, with all that said, I guess just how um, how has the response been? Like I said, I, I, I saw the pictures, but I can't uh, I can't do it justice probably by explaining it on the radio. But maybe you can kind of just tell me how how you felt about all the the stuff you were able to receive, and and obviously you know a pretty good outpouring from the community. I, I mean, I felt fantastic. We had amazing support. I was really concerned this year that with COVID making it more difficult to, you know, go to events and get the word out to lawyers sort of the organic way um, and, you know, not being able to have as much attention paid to it because everybody's talking about COVID and everybody's depressed. I was worried we wouldn't get many donations, but we had a massive number of donations. The, the community came out, um, you know, people were contacting me up until 9.30 p.m. on Friday uh, to drop off donations um, for students to pick up on Saturday and Sunday. So it, it was amazing. And we ended up with way more than we needed. Um, we're actually going to do another um, sort of pickup arrangement outdoors uh, when the weather's nicer as well to continue matching students with suits. Yeah, and uh, I saw you got some some good donations of masks as well to try to match the outfits. So that's kind of a unique 2021 twist on this uh, drive here as well. Um, just uh, before I let you go, what is sort of the 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 response you get from students when you when you are able to connect them and and you know get them some some nice professional clothes to be able to wear? I imagine that uh, you know it, they 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 leave that um, match up process feeling probably a lot more confident about themselves, but just really appreciative that someone's helping them to to really get their career started here oh definitely it's you know it's a huge boost of confidence for these women you know especially if you're not able to afford a nice professional suit it can be really stigmatizing to be in an office environment where you don't have the same clothes as everybody else stigmatizing to be in court where you're not dressed you know as appropriately for court because you can't afford to uh, to wear those clothes and so it, it gives these women confidence that they're not going to be judged on what they're wearing um, and I think you know we just all as women like 
helping each other and like lifting each other up. And it's just nice to see, you know, uh, women benefiting from, um, from the way that other women have been supporting them. Well, I think it's a great initiative and was really happy to see all the all the support you got here for it in, in 2021. Kyla, as always, thank you so much for the time. Appreciate this. Have a great rest of your week, and uh, we'll chat again on Monday. Okay, thank you. Awesome stuff. As always, Acumen Laws, Kyla Lee.